Oh man, huge thanks to to Dan and Ada and Jesse, our our entire worship team today, uh, for blessing us. And what a what a great song to to set up our time in the Word today, saying, "Jesus, you are still enough for me." I think it's a good word because I think we all know that this year, the reality that we're living in, the season that seems to be longer than we ever would have expected, is just a little crazy. And one of the redemptive parts about being in this situation with all the trials and challenges is that there's ample opportunity for the comedians on the internet to um, provide some redemptive humor. And so I wanted to share some some memes that are describing 2020 with you today. First up is uh, Chandler from Friends saying, when it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. (laughs) Hashtag 2020. Some of you made travel plans going into this year and the expectations of the Sydney Opera House and the reality of dirty dishes in your sink. If 2020 was a slide that you were going down, ah, some of you reach back and you're like, oh, that kind of hurt on my bum. And last, my personal favorite, if 2020 was a bag of chips, orange juice and toothpaste, I still remember when I was six years old and I brushed my teeth like a good boy and then come downstairs, take a big gulp of orange juice. I'm like, that was a mistake. 2020 is hard. This is difficult. There are challenges. There are trials. We're in the middle of epidemic. There's racial unrest. We don't know what's going on in the political sphere. We don't know what's happening in global politics. And yet today, as we wrap up Philippians, like Pastor Greg mentioned earlier, the Apostle Paul is bringing bringing up the idea of contentment. And even as I say the word contentment, it almost feels like offensive to be talking about that right now. Because how in the world would we be expected to be content in the reality that we find ourselves? I don't know what comes to mind for you when you hear the word contentment. For me, I immediately go to the breakfast routine that uh, the kids and I have. We have a five-year-old and a -a two-and-a-half-year-old. And, you know, I'll mix it up. Eggs one day, toast the next day, and, and we'll do classic cereal. Honey Nut Cheerios at our house is what we do. And uh, we have these plastic kid bowls that we'll pour pour the cereal into. And there are occasions where my daughter will get the red bowl of cereal and her brother will get the orange bowl of cereal and she will go bananas because she wants the orange bowl. To which I say to her, and I'm sure if you're a parent or a grandparent, you've said these words many times. You say, you get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. This is not a big deal. They're both plastic bowls. They both hold cereal. You can eat it just fine. And when I think of contentment, that's the first image that comes to my mind, is just be content with what you have. That's easy to say when it's something as unimportant and even ridiculous as plastic cereal bowls. But you expand that into living in a reality like we find ourselves now with so much stress, with so much uncertainty. 
And he's saying, man, you're talking about contentment today? And what I'm, I'm thankful for is Paul's going to take us into a different idea of contentment that we're going to unpack. So if you have your Bibles, you'll see it on the screen too. We're in chapter 4. And what's, what's, what I almost like about chapter 4 is it's the most boots on the ground of, of any of the chapters. It's, it's kind of explaining why is Paul writing? If you, if you remember, the, the Philippian church is a church that Paul planted back in the day. And he now finds himself in house arrest. And so he's writing a letter of encouragement to them saying, it's okay, guys, stick with Jesus. And the Philippian church has been so generous to Paul that the book of Philippians functions as a missionary support letter where Paul is reporting back to those who have financially invested in his ministry, where he's saying, thank you, thank you for your continued support. And he, and he says, here's an update on what God is doing, and here's some encouragement for you. So chapter 4, verses 15. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with, with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering. Paul is saying, thank you for your gifts. And just before this, Paul is spiritually interpreting what it means to be a recipient and what it means to be content in all circumstances. Verses 10 through 13. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You indeed were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. Just, a, just like, I, like I just said, Paul is not writing this from the mountaintop situation. Paul is imprisoned, and he is saying, I have learned the secret of being content in any and all circumstances. And I think one of the reasons that we struggle with this idea of contentment, especially when things are so crazy right now, is that we attach contentment to our circumstances. That if our circumstances were to get better, that's how we become more content. And this was true pre-pandemic, right? Where you would say, when we upgrade our house, then we'll be okay. When I get that raise at my job, we'll be okay. When they get past the stage as teenagers, then we'll be okay. You and I have lived for basically our whole lives with this idea that our contentment depends on our circumstances. And Paul says, hold on a second. Because for Paul, contentment depends on Christ. It depends on Christ, not on circumstance. Because his circumstance right now is not one to look forward to. But he says, I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. You know, I, I love how Paul is so Jesus-centered. 
He says earlier in this book, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He counts everything as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. He can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. In the book of Galatians, he says, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this is so much richer, so much deeper than just like being saved or anticipating our heavenly home. Paul knows that Jesus lives and reigns right now and that the Spirit is fully active in the world and in Paul's life. As if the thing that is most true about Paul is his connection to Jesus and all the other dominoes in his life fall from that. You see, Paul is detaching his contentment from his circumstances, and he's placing it on the solid foundation that's in Jesus. And if we were to do the same thing, if we were to detach our contentment from our circumstances, it frees us from the mentality that contentment means settling. You see, there's a difference between contentment, being content, and settling in life. I would describe settling as kind of the adult version of you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. Whatever is in your life, in the world, is what has to be or must be or will be, and it will never change. Don't pray for anything more. Don't seek more. Don't ask for more. Don't work for more. Don't fight for more. Don't encourage others to fight for more. Settling is blind acceptance without any aspiration. Just two chapters prior, Paul is talking about uh, this fellow, Epaphroditus, who's the one who carried the gift from the Philippian church to Paul, and now Paul is sending back to the Philippians. And Paul recounts how Epaphroditus actually fell ill, nearly to the point of death. And Paul talked about how, how, how it would have been sorrow upon sorrow had he died, but God had mercy upon him. And so Paul said, I want to send Epaphroditus back with this good news that he is well so that I, Paul, can be less anxious. You know what that screams to me? Is that Paul says, it is not okay if Epaphroditus is sick. I'm not just going to settle in the reality of like, well, he got sick. I guess that's what God wants. No big deal. No, Paul said, I am anxious at the fact that he's sick and that you care for your friend. Being content does not mean we're settling. Contentment in Christ is not opposed to the desire for better or different for more. It's just not dependent on it because our contentment is fully dependent on Jesus. So that's what contentment, contentment looks like for Paul. And you might be sitting there, you might be thinking, okay, that's, that's great. He is an apostle. He had this amazing Damascus Road experience where Jesus appeared to him in the clouds and said, why are you persecuting me, Paul? I am Jesus. He said, that's great for super spiritual Paul, but not for me. I just can't do it. I can't do it. I have some good news for you, some hope. This is actually a a new thing for me that I discovered in preparing this message. These verses I read earlier, I want to highlight again. Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in every, any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Do you see those two phrases? He repeats it. He says, I have learned. 
So I've learned something in the past couple weeks, the past month or so actually, where I have learned how to bake gluten-free sugar cookies. Now you might be like me prior to this, where the, the thought of gluten-free pastry anything is just like, uh, no thank you. Uh, I asked uh, Peter Bay and Pastor Greg and a few others how they would describe gluten-free desserts. Um, and Pastor Greg, were, his words were, tough and tasteless. Uh, Peter said, it tastes like treason. But I am telling you, I learned how to make gluten-free sugar cookies. And they're like super good. They're really good. I, I, I say this in full faith. I'm not exaggerating at all. If you were to eat one of these gluten-free sugar cookies that I made, you would not notice that it was gluten-free. I, I promise you that. And if, if you need to test me, send me an email. I will, I will make a new batch and, and mail them to you in a COVID-safe way. But I learned how to do this. And with any process of learning, there are three distinct stages of time. There is the before time where you did not know how to do something. There is then the process of learning how to do something. And then there is the result where you can now say, I have learned how to do something. And Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, is positioning himself in this third category. I have learned how to be content in any and all circumstances. Which implies that there was stage one and stage two. And I want you to feel free today. I want, I want you to feel permission from the Holy Spirit that if you find yourself in stage one or stage two in this business of contentment, that Paul was there too. You see, Philippians was written towards the end of Paul's ministry. And so I, I fully believe that Paul is looking back upon his life, even after he became a Christian, maybe even after he was preaching the gospel. And he said, there was a time where I had to learn how to be content in my circumstances, how I had to learn that my contentment was not dependent on my circumstances, but it was dependent on Jesus. And I don't want you to feel disqualified in your faith in Jesus if you find yourself in stage one or stage two. Paul has been there. And so grace to you in this process, as you say, yeah, I, I want to learn how to be content, whatever the circumstance. And there's two things that Paul gives us in chapter four, some practical handles. If you're saying, okay, what are some things I can do to grow in this area of contentment? And the first thing that Paul says, he addresses your prayer life. Your prayer life. Look at this, familiar verses, chapter four, verse five. He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, how glorious is this, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. I've been reading a book by Tim Keller all about prayer uh, this past couple weeks, and it, it's, it's shown me how much I need to, to, to get back to the basics in prayer. I think for us as Christians sometimes, we, we, we like to be perceived by others as having a great prayer life. But what we're talking about here is what your actual prayer life is like. And if I was to be honest with you, man, it, it's not as faithful and steadfast as I wish it were. 
Tim Keller says that prayerlessness is actually a sin. Because we're positioning ourselves in a spot where only God should be. You know, what I need is habitual reminders that things do not ultimately rise and fall on me. I'm a very task-oriented person. I have to-do lists that come into play after I finish my current to-do list. And if I'm not careful, if I'm not choosing to press into prayer, I start to fool myself into thinking, well, Tyler, it's all on you. It's all on you. And I take on pressure that was never mine to carry. Your emotional health cannot sustain if you consistently disregard times with God. And that's why, as Amanda shared earlier, the entire month of August, we as a church are saying, prayer first. I love what Pastor Roger said about this, that this is the most intensive and the most extensive season of prayer that perhaps King Kings has ever been a part of, 24-7 for 30 days, and a four-week series on Sundays that will start next week. And so if you don't know where to start in prayer, join one of these Zoom meetings. It's COVID safe. You can stay in your own home. But if you're wanting to say, I want to step up my game in prayer because I want to grow in contentment in Jesus, then come along for the ride. The second thing that Paul says that we can grow in contentment is our thought life. He's referring to What are you stirring on? What are you mulling over? What are you really, really believing about life, about the world, about yourself, about other people, even about God? And here's what he says in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about them. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The New Testament makes a big deal out of this business of renewing our minds. Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind what you're thinking about, what you're really, really believing. And here's something I don't see in this list that Paul has here. You know what I don't see? Think upon that which is fearful. Think upon that which is producing anger and outrage. Think upon that which causes unrest in you. You see, your thought life is directly correlated with what you take in, with what you consume. And we are inundated with information, with emotions, with stories. Whether you're swiping up and down, left or right, or whether you're clicking the TV remote, your mind needs a break from the noise of the world. If you're going to think upon that which is just, pure, lovely, commendable, and so on, so that you can grow in contentment, you need to take a rest. You can turn your phone off. You can turn the 24-7 news cycle off. Give yourself a rest. Find moments in your day and find moments in your week 
to turn off your screens. And I think I'm bold enough to say that you're not going to find contentment in Christ if the volume of the world's narratives and messages is never turned down. One thing you might have noticed in these verses is that when we invest in our prayer life, Paul says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. And then when we think upon that which is good, right, true, and beautiful, he flips that. He says, the God of peace will be with you. If there's, if there's one thing that I would hope that you take away from this today, it's that in your life, peace is possible. The peace of God, and perhaps even greater, the God of peace being with you. Contentment, peace is possible in your life. What I love about the, 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 the praying and our thought life, this is not dependent on circumstances. You might be abounding right now, being well provided for, saying, God, how did this happen? You know what you still need to do? You need to pray and you need to guard your thoughts. But as I suspect most of us find ourselves in the valley, I love what we were saying earlier, the God of the mountains is the God of the valleys. If you find yourself in that spot, pray and guard your thoughts. You know, I don't want to be dismissive about the realities that we find ourselves in. These are real sufferings, real challenges, real trials. And because they're real losses, I love what Brenda Nyan said earlier this week at our um, stressed out Zoom webinar. She said, these are real losses that need to be lamented. Contentment is not escapism. We're not ignoring the real trials and challenges and disappointments of life. Rather, by prayer and by renewal of our minds, we're pressing in to the reality of Jesus. That like Paul, we could let the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the promises of Jesus, and the presence of Jesus be the controlling narrative of our lives. Let it be said of me, Lord. Let it be said of me that the thing that was most true about Tyler is that Jesus was with him, was that I was connected to Jesus. You know, we've been talking about our contentment. We've been talking about us, right? I have a question for you. What about God? Is God content? Does God get discontent? And I would submit to you that yes, yes, he does. God isn't okay with the brokenness of this world. He didn't settle. He didn't say, well, it is what it is. He doesn't look upon injustice, oppression, pride, lust, greed, malice, slander, fill in the blank and say, well, I guess I'm content with that. No, far from it. That grieved God's heart. It continues to grieve God's heart. All of which led to God's greatest source of discontentment. And that was separation from you and me. 
not being in relationship with the people that he loves. And out of that place, God said, I'm going to reconcile you to me. Through the perfect life that Jesus lived, through the death that he died in our place, and the resurrection that he rose, all so that we can receive the benefits of Christ's work, and so that we can tap into a life where peace is possible and where we can be content. God has made a way for your heart to find contentment in him. Perhaps for too long, you've allowed discontentment to be your default. It's possible. Peace is possible. May God be praised and honored in your life as like Paul, you say, all that I have is Jesus. Amen.